tell them to start with the numbers. How much money does this company make? How much do you expect it to make in the future? This is the data, the information part of the decision. Once they know that, they can weigh the pluses and minuses. Here is where they sometimes get tripped up. The plus of buying is, of course, the profits that they'll make. The minus is that they have to give up the option to buy something else, maybe a better company. In the end, the decision rests on evaluating these pluses and minuses for them personally. They have to figure out what else they could do with the money. Making this decision correctly requires thinking hard about the alternative, and that's not going to be the same for everyone. Of course, most of us don't spend a lot of time purchasing companies. To be fair, I'm not sure this is always what my students use my class for either. I recently got an email from a student saying that what he learned from my class was that he should stop drinking his beer if he wasn't enjoying it. This actually is a good application of the principle of sunk costs, if not the primary focus of class. But the concept of good decision-making goes far beyond business. In fact, once you internalize economic decision-making, it comes up everywhere. When Jesse and I decided we should have a baby, I convinced him that we had to move out of our third-floor walk-up. Too many steps for the stroller, I declared. He agreed, as long as I was willing to do the house shopping. I got around to it sometime in February, in Chicago, and I trekked in the snow to 15 or 16 seemingly identical houses. When I finally found one that I liked slightly more than the others, the fun started— we had to make a decision about how much to offer for it. As I teach my students, we started with the data. We tried to figure out how much this particular house was worth in the market. This wasn't too difficult. The house had last sold in 2007, and we found the price listed online. All we had to do was figure out how much prices had changed in the last two years. We were right in the middle of a housing crisis, hard to miss, especially for an economist, So we knew prices had gone down, but by how much? If we wanted to know about price changes in Chicago overall, we could have used something called the Case-Shiller Index, a common measure of housing prices. But this was for the whole city, not just for our neighborhood. Could we do better? I found an online housing resource, Zillow.com, that provided simple graphs showing the changes in housing prices by neighborhood in Chicago. All we had to do was take the old price, figure out the expected change, and come up with our new price. This was the data side of the decision, but we weren't done. To make the right decision, we still needed the pluses and minuses part. We needed to think about how much we liked this house relative to other houses. What we had figured out was the market price for the house, what we thought other people would want to pay on average. But if we thought this house was really special, really perfect, and ideal for us in particular, we would probably want to bid more than we thought it was worth in the market. We'd be willing to pay something extra because our feelings about this house were so strong. There wasn't any data to tell us about this second part of the decision. We just had to think about it. In the end, we thought that, for us, this house seemed pretty similar to all the other ones— We bid the price we thought was correct for the house, and we didn't get it. Maybe it was the pricing memo we sent with our bid? Hard to say. 
In the end, we bought another house we liked just as much. But this was just our personal situation. A few months later, one of our friends fell in love with one particular house. He thought this house was a one-of-a-kind option, perfect for him and his family. When it came down to it, he paid a bit more than the data might have suggested. It's easy to see why that's also the right decision once you use the right decision process, the economist's decision process. Ultimately, as I tell my students, this isn't just one way to make decisions. It is the correct way. So, naturally, when I did get pregnant, I thought this was how pregnancy decision-making would work, too. Take something like amniocentesis. I thought my doctor would start by outlining a framework for making this decision, pluses and minuses. She'd tell me the plus of this test is that you can get a lot of information about the baby.